Thank you, everyone. Um, sometimes funny how in the spirit, uh, metaphors get mixed and it doesn't matter. So JT was just like, our lamps never run dry and there's always water. <laughs> and generally those don't go together, but in the spirit, it works, <laughs> right? So good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. <sighs> wow. I feel a little bit wrecked. Um, that last song, uh, let all the other names fade away until there's only you. <sighs> Jesus, yes, that's our heart's cry, that all other names would fade away, that you would be the center of our lives, that you would be the one that we are building our lives upon, that you would be the one that we see and know and love deeply and truly. Um, amen. I, I love it because I love gospel music, and so I always feel like I have permission to dance a little bit more and to like shake my booty and <laughs> jump around. Um, but I, I love gospel music and I just thought the um, worship team just did a phenomenal job this morning. Well done. Uh, so good. I saw, it, it was really cute. I, I, just, I just told Jane, who is uh, helping lead, um, that there was a young girl up here and Jane, while she was... Uh, singing, this young girl just so badly wanted to be like Jane, that everything Jane would do, this young girl would do. I, I don't know who the young girl was, but when Jane started motioning to the band to do this, the young girl started doing this. When Jane would lift her hand, the young girl, it was amazing. It was awesome. Really, really incredible. Well, I have, um, I have some good news for you this morning. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is real, and he is here, and he's amazing. And while we were in pre-service prayer, uh, I, I closed my eyes and immediately I got this picture of this waterfall uh, pouring out on us, pouring into us. And I felt like the Lord was saying that there's two things that are happening this morning, that his love and his affection and his power is pouring into our spirits. And two, that the, the force of it, you know, a waterfall is powerful, the force of it is actually meant to move us closer to him. And so this morning, I have good news for you. Whether, you. whether you know you are near God, whether you know you are with him, or whether you feel like you are far away, God is working to move you closer to him simply because of his goodness and because of his love, simply because of his power at work in your life. And I believe this morning that he is going to challenge us, he's going to convict us, he's going to... Uh, love us and call us deeper and closer to him. So do you want that? Yes? All right. If you want that, I'm going to invite you to stand up once more. One more time. I want you to hold out your hands and say, Lord, come on, let's try that again. Lord, come and move me closer to you. Pour your love into my heart. Put your hand on your head and say, Lord, come and change the way I think. Come and confront wrong thinking and give me the mind of Christ. Put your hand on your heart. Lord, come and encounter my emotions. Come and change me so that I can be more like you. Last thing, put your hand on your neighbor, appropriately. <laughs> and say this, Lord, help them.
They need it. Help them, Lord. Okay, amen. All right, you can be seated. Uh, for some of you, uh, husbands and wives especially, I noticed that you really meant the last part of that prayer. I, just want, I, I heard you. I heard some of you starting to tear up while you were asking for help. Uh, <laughs> well, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, I'd like to share with you a little bit of a journey that, I'm being, that I have been on, a little bit of a journey that the Lord has taken me on to see him more clearly, to walk with him in a deeper way. And I believe that it's actually God calling all of us closer to, to him. Um, I am, uh, last week, Murray started our communion series and it was just phenomenal. And one thing he forgot to mention is that we are going to be continuing our, our communion series, but we're actually going to be doing it on the first Sunday of each month when we typically uh, have communion. And so you can look forward to the continuation of that series on the first uh, Sunday in November. But while we, were, while we were taking communion last week and while Murray was preaching, I was reminded uh, of a few things in my life that I'd like to share with you. And the first thing I'm going to have you do is turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Micah. Micah is uh, one of what's known as the minor prophets, uh, simply because of the size of uh, the text, not necessarily because he was small or less significant than any of the major prophets. But Micah um, is right before Nahum, and in my Bible is page 761, so if that helps you, great. Um, but I'm going to have you turn to Micah 6, and I would like to set the stage for you. This has been one of my life verses, and it's been one of my life verses because of what happened to me uh, years ago. So uh, travel with me, if you will, back in time, uh, past the 2010s into the 2000s, and that's great. You can stop right there. You don't need to travel back too far. Um, but it was about 2006, 2005, and I was on a team that had helped plant a young adult church in the city of Toronto. Duncan and Kate were my youth and young adult pastors back then. I've known them for a very long time, for coming up on almost 20 years at this point, um, and just absolutely love them. And I was on uh, their youth and young adult team. We had started this young adult church downtown Toronto. And it was hopping. It was fiery. It was loving. It was so, um, ah, just raw. Uh, we used to meet in this, old, in this YMCA. And so we would usually do acoustic sessions. And the place would be filled. And every person would be singing their, their lungs out, singing their faces off. Um, and you can just imagine that kind of atmosphere. It, it was just so, so powerful. And... I'd, be, I'd go down there every week and meet with people, pray with them, hang out with them, and also just receive. And so we were there one Sunday night, and my friend gets up to preach. And when he gets up to preach, he, he does something similar to what, what I just did. He just prays for everyone. And while he prays, I close my eyes, and immediately it's like, it's like, all of a sudden, God just comes close to me. I have no other way to describe it other than God comes close. Uh, at this point, you're not trying to get a hold of God. God has a hold of you. 
And it's amazing. I close my eyes and all of a sudden I can feel his nearness. I can sense his presence. And I turn to Micah 6. And I had just read it earlier in the day. It was part of my daily Bible reading. And I turn to Micah 6, verse 8. And it says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And I closed my eyes, and I just heard the Lord say to me, John, I am calling you to do this all the days of your life. Will you respond to my call? I'm inviting you, son, to love justice, sorry, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with me, as the NIV says. And in my heart, all I could do was say, yes, God. Yes, God. Lord, if you're looking for someone, I say yes. Lord, if you're looking for someone to respond to this, pick me. I'll be the first one in. What's the question? I'm there. And I believe that's the attitude of our hearts, that God honors and God sees. And there's something about believing God and taking him at his word that will cause him to to skip over 10,000 people just to get to you. And at that moment, I don't remember what my friend preached about. All I remember was I just laid down on the floor and I said over and over again, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. I say yes to your invitation to act justly. I say yes to your invitation to love mercy. I say yes to your invitation to walk humbly with you all the days of my life. And I ask with all of my heart that you would help me to do this. The amazing thing about God is you don't know what you're saying yes to. (laughs) Right? You say yes, and you think it's going to look like something. You think it's going to mean something. And it ends up looking and meaning something totally different. And, And this verse started me on a journey of beginning to discover, wait, if this is what God is asking of me, what does that begin to look like? What is a just life? What does it mean to love mercy? What does it mean to walk humbly? Right? These are great questions that we need to spend our time and attention towards. Because if we don't, we will miss what God has called us to. And if we miss what he's called us to, we miss, we miss him. Because the invitation from God is always to go deeper in doing something so that we may go deeper in him. We may find him. That is why he has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Why do you think you need a comforter? It's because he's called you to become uncomfortable. You have a comforter because the God that we serve is not a dead God. The God that we serve is living and is alive. And he is going to come and he is going to interact with us and pull us out of fear, pull us out of pride. He is going to come and we're going to be very, very uncomfortable sometimes. But it's all so that we can know him deeper. Because we, if you're never uncomfortable, you can never know the Holy Spirit as comforter. Come on. So every opportunity that God sets before us is an invitation to go deeper in him. And so I said yes. I said yes to starting this journey with him. 
Little did I know, dun, dun, dun. And as I started to think about it, I started to get really, really scared. What does it mean to act justly? I don't know. What does it mean to love mercy? I don't know. What does it mean to walk humbly? That one, maybe I can figure out. But I felt as if I then had to do what God was asking me to do. I then felt like I had to put it into practice. Awareness of what the Bible says without the Spirit brings death. And I began to be very aware of all the areas that I wasn't being just, that I didn't love mercy, that I wasn't walking humbly with God. And I tried to go, God, help me, help me, help me. Let me do it, let me do it. And it's because I realized that I actually had wrong understandings of what the biblical definition of justice is and what the biblical definition of mercy is and what the biblical definition of humility is. And so over the past 15 years or so, I have been saying, Lord, would you come and would you take me deeper in these three areas? Well, God has answered my prayer. Two years ago, I uh, had the privilege of having breakfast with one of my friends uh, here at Catch the Fire. Uh, His name is Nathan Biggenzon. Nathan, are you here today? He typically comes to second service. Um, I don't see him. I should have texted him and let him know I was giving him a shout out. Whatever. I'll text him later. Um, But I was having breakfast with my friend. And typically when I I get together with someone from our church family, lunch, dinner, um, coffee, I love to uh, hear from them, but I also love to learn and to glean. And so I'm always looking for what is the Lord saying through them? What's the Lord doing in them uh, that directly impacts me. And so as I was talking with Nathan, I, we were talking about the kingdom of God. We were talking about how good Jesus is, how he's brought us into a supernatural kingdom. And we just started talking about the goodness of God. And immediately it was like we were kindred spirits. Immediately it was like we had known each other for a very long time. And Nathan pointed something out to me that I had read hundreds of times, but I had never actually considered. And it has to do with this issue of justice. In Luke, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke, Luke 7. John the Baptist has been preaching about Jesus. Jesus shows up. John the Baptist gets arrested by Herod. He's now in prison. And he expected Jesus to come and do certain things that a Savior or a Messiah would do. He expected Jesus to show up and overthrow the Romans, start ruling as a king. And Jesus is not doing any of that. And so John starts to get shaken, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus one question. And the question is this, Luke 7, verse 20. When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. 
So the disciples have come, and they're saying, Jesus, are you the one to come? And then Jesus, right in front of them, does all these miracles. And then he says this, now go and tell John this. And this encompasses what Jesus came to do. He says, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. For years I've read this. For years I've been comfortable with this. Because I've seen the blind ears opened. I have prayed personally for five deaf ears and they have been opened. I have seen the blind walk. Or not walk. I I see many blind people walk all the time, usually. I have seen. Just the fact that they're walking is a miracle. I get it. I get it. But I have seen the blind see. I've seen people prayed for and blind eyes open. I've seen limbs grow. I have seen um, people get out of wheelchairs and walk. I have seen incredible things happen in the kingdom of God. Because when you start walking with a supernatural God, the supernatural becomes accessible to you. And Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. So if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, that means the impossible is now possible. So I've seen that, and I'm comfortable with that. And as we were talking, Nathan said, but hold on, John. The poor also have the gospel preached to them. And I stopped. I said, what? He said, that is also part of Jesus' message. That is also part of what Jesus came to do. You cannot divorce the preaching of the gospel to the poor from the supernatural life. I'm paraphrasing him here. And I went, oh my goodness, I have never considered this. I have never sought to put this into practice in my life. And we continued chatting and um, finished up and I went out and sat in my car and I went, Lord, what have I missed this all these years? Have I missed this? And if so, God, would you come and would you teach me and would you show me because I long to see you in your fullness. I don't just want to see a God that I made up out of my imagination. I don't just want to see part of you. I want to see you fully. I want to see you wholly. And over the, over the next two years, as I've read and as I've studied, I have become absolutely convinced that God's heart is for the poor. God's heart is for those who are broken. God's heart, if you look in Scripture specifically, I'll, I'll get you to turn there later, but Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19, God says that I am the God, I am the God of the alien, the orphan, the widow, and the poor. Proverbs 19.17 says, he who, lends, who, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And as I began, and there's countless others, Psalm 146, Job 31 talks about a, a righteous life. I mean, on and on, as I began to read James, the book of James begins to talk about true religion is to keep one, oneself from being defiled from, by the world and to look after orphans and widows in their distress. James begins to talk, talk about works, and I realized that in my head, I had separated 
the supernatural life from doing good works physically. I had thought, it's okay, I could pray for people, I could heal the sick, I could see them raised, I could see um, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. But to actually go and get involved with them, I'm okay, I don't know if Jesus has really called me to that. And I was very comfortable living a divided life. I don't know if I'm just speaking to myself here. I sure hope not. <laughs> because, I, because what started to happen was I started to be confronted with all of my wrong beliefs, all of my failures, all of my mistakes when it came to dealing with people who were different than me and who I thought just needed to work harder who I thought just needed, just needed to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, who I thought just needed a supernatural touch from God but didn't need any physical help. I had grown up in Pakistan. I was born there, grew up there for eight years. And in Pakistan, you just see poverty everywhere. It is pervasive. And so I didn't realize that I had all these judgments and notions against people in poverty. And then I started to think of my failures And one of my most terrible failures, which I will be happy to share with you, is in, I did the school of ministry in Toronto. Part of the school was we we were uh, invited, I'm going to say forced, but we were invited to go downtown to this mission called Followers Mission. And Followers Mission is where, um, it was a soup kitchen, and we would give out food to uh, people who were homeless and people who were on the streets. And so I went down there my first time. I am this young man going, uh, I'm definitely not in my suburb anymore. But okay, let's serve food. So as part of the team, I was, I was dishing out food. And uh, after I was done, they invited us. I'm going to say force, but they invited us to, to come out from behind the table and go and sit with some of our friends. Go and sit with the people that we had just served who were eating. So I went... I sat down, and this guy's sitting next to me, and I'm trying to be friendly, and I go, hi, I'm Jonathan. He looks at me, looks back down, and continues eating. And I start getting really nervous. I want to make a friend. I want to get to know this guy. And I say the first thing that pops into my head, and where do you live? And he looked at me, and he cussed me out, I was scared for my life. And I walked away going, oh, John, you're such an idiot. Why did you say that? You just asked a homeless guy where he lives. What are you thinking? And inside, I started to go, if this is what ministry looks like on the streets, I'm out. I don't want to do it. And I chose to be safe rather than receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Well, over the past two years, as I've started to look and started to go deeper with God, I've started to realize that He absolutely cares for the broken. He cares for the alien. He cares for the poor. He cares for the orphan. He cares for the widow. To the point that He identifies Himself with them. 
And if you look throughout the history of humanity, there is no other religion like this. There's no other philosophy like this because we have a God who identifies with the people on the bottom. We have a God who identifies with the people at the, on the bottom rung, the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, the bottom of the immigrant ladder. The, they're the, the least of the least of the least. And God says, if you give to them, you lend to me. Every other religion, God identify, or the gods identify with the people in power, with the people who are wealthy, with the people who are uh, holy, with the people who have it all together, with the strong. Christianity is the only religion in which God identifies with the weak and the marginalized and the broken. And as I began to realize this, I began to realize, oh my goodness, I have missed it. I have tried to spiritualize physical problems. And I have been content to sit back. I've been content to pray for someone but not go any further. I've been content not to push myself. I've been content not to give of myself. I've been content to let it remain spiritual, quote-unquote. And over these past few years, church, I've started to go, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for the areas that I've not properly looked after the people that you have brought into my life? Would you forgive me for the areas that I've not given of myself would you, would you forgive me for the areas that I, have not, that I have not laid myself down? Would you forgive me for the areas that I have not been willing to become uncomfortable? And as I've done this, I've started to see a side of Jesus that I haven't seen before. See, in John 1, whenever we take communion, I think of John 1. Actually, I think of John 6 and I think of John 1. John 6 is where Jesus is talking about people uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood and people get offended at him. And if I, was, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, wait guys, you don't understand. It's just spiritual. Don't worry about it. It'll all make sense. Jesus, doubled down. J- Jesus doubles down. He's like, no, 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 no. If you don't eat my flesh and don't drink my blood, you have no part of me. And at this, so many people get offended and they leave. And Jesus turns to his disciples and go. Are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, who else would we go to? Who else would we go to? You have the words of life. And what Peter's saying is, God, we have no plan B. You are a plan A. You are a plan B. You are a plan C. Jesus, everything that we are is in with you. And then I also think of John 1. And John 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And even last week, I began to think and think about what it must have cost the God of the universe, the omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God to shrink and to become human, to limit himself to flesh, to limit himself to skin. Not just dying on the cross, not just not just being buried, not just being raised up, but actually to come as a human. The incarnation is absolutely mind-boggling when we begin to think about it. Because God was so concerned about the poor, so concerned about the orphan, so concerned about the widow, that he comes down in flesh to do something about it. And the more I think about this, the more I realize the reason why I'm uncomfortable being around people who are of a different socioeconomic status than me, the, people I'm, the reason I'm uncomfortable with people who are aliens, people who are different, is because I don't want to see brokenness. Because I've convinced myself that I'm okay. I'm strong. I'm rich. I'm good. I'm not lonely. I'm welcome. And the more that I'm around some of my friends, the more I realize, wait a minute. Outside of Jesus, I am poor. Outside of Jesus, I am lonely. Outside of Jesus, I am an orphan. Outside of Jesus, I am all of these things. And God in his goodness and God in his mercy reached down from heaven and has pulled me into him. And now he says, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. Because the more I think about it, the more I realize that God is ascending God. The Father sends the Son. The Son and the Father send the Spirit. The Spirit now comes into us. And, what, and where, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit sends us. We've got to go. Because Jesus became the incarnation, God with flesh on. And now he sends us to be his incarnation. Now he sends us to become his hands and his feet. Now he sends us to become God with flesh on. And I love what Daniel was sharing about about going to Mississippi and being so challenged and being so changed by God. And I love that. I love traveling. I love going around the world and seeing what God's doing. But sometimes the hardest trip to take is the trip across the street. Sometimes the scariest trip to take is the trip across the street. The trip into the neighborhood that we've judged, the, the people that we go, oh, I'm better than them. Oh, I live in this neighborhood, not that neighborhood. Oh, I paid this fee for, to my HOA. They don't have HOAs. That's the hardest trip to take because it requires us to lay down our pride and it requires us to lay down our fear and it requires us to get uncomfortable. But if you never get uncomfortable, you never get to encounter God as comforter. If you never allow yourself to become uncomfortable, you will never know his comfort. And so God has called us and is sending us to go. Unfortunately, we get really uncomfortable with that. And so we change the message of the kingdom from go to come. 
come to church. Hey, come with me. Hey, let's go to the meeting. Instead of saying, God, you are with me. I'm going into my workplace. I'm going into my school. I'm going into my family. I'm going into the neighborhoods. I'm going into the places you've called me. And I'm going because you are with me. And if you are with me, we have a majority. Oh, come on. That is exciting because that, <laughs> that is the adventure of God that he has called you and I into. He hasn't called us to come and play safe Christianity. He hasn't called us to have fire insurance in our back pocket. He's called us to go boldly where no one has gone before, if I may say that. So, what, so why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because if you don't get this, you will not see why through the centuries Christians have done good works. We'd, if I don't share this, you will think that justice is something you have to work up. Caring for people is something you have to work up. Instead of, instead of having a heart that's shaped by grace. See, when, when, what I didn't realize in Micah 6.8 is that what God was inviting me into was a life where I so love his mercy that I am, I am compelled to walk in justice. I have a heart that's so shaped by his mercy, and that word for mercy, it is, it, mercy is not a great translation. That word, for those of you who are familiar, is a he, Hebrew word, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna butcher it because I don't speak Hebrew very well, but it's the word for the unfailing, unyielding love of God his covenant love, his faithful love. And the word is chesed. His, his committed love to us. When we realize that and when we see that in our hearts, it compels us to move. And this is why Paul can write in Corinthians, he can say that the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ moves me. I've so encountered his love that I have to go and I have to become good news. We don't just preach good news, we become good news. We do both. And that is why, this is why we're doing our church-wide Embrace Day. I would like to invite each one of you to join us October 26th. We're going to some of our friends, we're going to people that we have connected with, and people we have walked with, people we have started building relationship with, and we are gonna say, how can we serve you? Because God loves you. We have an entire team that's just gonna be picking up trash on the streets. But while they're picking up trash, they're also going to be praying, God, would you let your kingdom come? Would you let your will be done in Durham as in heaven? Lord, would you let your presence flood these streets? Lord, would you come and encounter people as we clean up these streets? As we're doing yard work, as we are with people in their homes, as we're handing out food, we're going to be praying and saying, Lord, let this be a supernatural sandwich. Let, Lord, let this not just feed bellies, but feed spirits. Lord, help us to bless these people. Help us to become a blessing because we are taking the commandment to go so seriously that we cannot stay in the four walls of the church. And I encourage you to jump in. Join us. And if you can't join us on the day, there are other teams going out weekly and monthly. See how you can get stuck in. You can join us on October 26th by praying Pray, 
pray leading up to the, the day, pray on the day, pray after the day, that God's will would be done, that fruit would come, that seeds would go deep. You can join us by giving. We're looking to raise about $3,000 in order to do all of the projects that we have set to do. And you can join us by serving on the day. And if you'd like more information, I invite you to come to the table at the back of the auditorium. See how you can get stuck in. The last thing I'd like to say is this. As I've been speaking, some of you have been thinking, why John? This sounds great. But it sounds so very liberal of you. It sounds like you're just calling us to go and give and give and give. Isn't that liberal? We don't want to, we don't want to be part of that. And to that, I would say, you're right, it does sound liberal. But where do you think we got the ideas from? Where do you think the liberals got ideas like this from? It certainly didn't come from evolution. Think about it. If, you're, if you believe in evolution, if you believe that there is no God, it means that the core of the universe is power. And it means that you exploit power to keep those around you pushed down. So how on earth would you come to the conclusion that we need to serve those around us? I need to let you know this, that, that the idea to serve and to love the poor is a uniquely Christian idea that has been appropriated by different parties. But I also need to let you know this, that if you, that sure, that may sound liberal, but if you look at what the Bible has to say about sex, if you look at what the Bible has to say about family, if you look at what the Bible has to say about gender, what does that sound like? Sounds conservative. And that's because the word of God transcends all of our human boxes. The word of God is greater than all of our human ideals. The word of God is greater than all of our human camps that we can identify with. That's because the word of God is true. It comes from the supernatural God. And if he's supernatural, he's the only one who can challenge us where we are. Because if he can't challenge us, if God only agrees with us on everything that we think, then we have a God who's probably a God of our imagination, and we have a God who's useful to us, not Lord of our lives. We have a God who, beco who becomes an addition to our lives instead of Lord of our lives. We have a God who we go to because we need something, because we want something, but the moment he starts challenging us, we go, ah, I'm out. That's the difference between someone who, who calls Christ a good teacher and someone who calls Christ Lord. Because if you call Christ Lord, it means that he starts to become the center of your life, the center of your affection. And it means that he is going to challenge you. He is going to speak to you. He is going to call you out of fear. He's going to call you out of pride. He's going to call you out of uh, darkness but he's going to call you into his love and into his justice. And so when you say yes, you're saying yes to that invitation. So I have really good news for you, everybody. Our God is alive and he is calling us and leading us closer to him. And I don't know about you, but I'm all in. I'm saying yes. 
I'm saying yes to the invitation. I'm saying yes to the invitation to go deeper. I'm saying yes in the, to the invitation to go out. I'm saying yes, I'm saying yes, I'm saying yes, because it means that I get him. It means that I encounter him. And if I have him, I have all. I don't care if it costs me my pride. I don't care if it costs me my need. I don't care if it costs me money. If I get him, I get all. I'm gonna invite you to stand up and I'd like to pray for us and then we're gonna close and I'll turn it back over to JT. But as I, was spe- as I was speaking, particularly about the liberal conservative thing, I feel like there are some of us with glasses on and we are looking at God through a specific lens and that lens are like a horse's blinders and they actually blind us to, being, to seeing his goodness, his bigness, his faithfulness. And so I'd like to, I'd like you to just take a minute and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it in my heart? Where am I hindered from seeing you? Where do I have blinders on? Come and remove my blinders. Come and give me power to see you clearly. Jesus, I ask with all my heart that we would be people who are incredibly dangerous in the spirit. I ask that you would make us a community of loving warriors, that we would be full of your spirit, full of your presence, and that everywhere we go, we would be incredibly dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And I bless you, Catch the Fire, to be people of joy, with joy in your hearts and fire in your eyes and his praise on your lips, that you would proclaim the praises and the power of the supernatural God. I bless you in Jesus' name to walk with him all the days of your life, to hear his voice, and to begin to transform and change those around you. I bless you to become the, the, to incarnate, to become God with flesh on as we go into our cities, as we go into our neighborhoods, as we go into our families. I bless you to go, to, to respond to the gospel and go and bring people into the loving embrace of Jesus Christ. We say yes, so we say amen. We say amen. And Lord, we ask that you would bring us the people that you love and that you cherish. And we ask that you would help us to love them and cherish them as you love them and as you cherish them.